Come on. Welcome to Money Savage, a savage approach to personal finance. This is George Grumbacher, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, strong and powerful Trisha Funk. Trish, are you ready to do this? Yes, absolutely. Excellent. Let's do this. Trish is a 17-year veteran in the financial industry. She is a strategic financial planning coach, author, speaker, founder, and director of Pennies on Purpose. She is also the director of Women's Business Center of the Women's Business Center at the Jefferson Economic Development Institute. Excited to have you on. Trish, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Okay. Um, I am all of those things, which sounds like a lot when you say it all together like that. But, <laughs> but I am also um, the mother of four, and I always say the mother of four athletes because that seems to make a difference in my life. Um, I'm from Northern California where we live and raise our children, and it's absolutely beautiful country that is just so has so many outdoor abilities and adventures and hiking and stuff around us. So we, we are outdoor enthusiasts as well. Um, for what was my second question? Just a little bit more about why you do what you do. Why I do what I do. Okay. Sorry. Um, well, there's a number of reasons. I feel like that's a pretty loaded question because there's a number of reasons why I'm involved in so many of the different things that I'm involved in. With, I would say that I've always been in the finance industry because it just is who I was created to be. It's just what I was made for. Um, as a child, I was the kid that had to be the banker in Monopoly. So the finance industry was just the career that I was going to select. Nice. And so that has, that has navigated a few different um, things throughout my career. It's been almost 20 years actually now. I probably need to update some of my bio stuff. Um, but in the, in the first decade I spent as an actual investment advisor and insurance agent running my own, um, re- running my own uh, registered rep agency. And so I was housed as a, out of another broker dealer, but I did that for a decade and I loved it. I thought that was what I was going to do for the rest of my life. Um, I navigated out of that after 10 years there because I saw a need that wasn't being filled. And so that was the strategic counseling. People came into my office wanting to achieve financial security and in developing out their financial plans, there was no way they were going to get there in the situation that they were in. And so I transitioned my entire business to doing strategic financial coaching, counseling, and that led itself to being able to develop financial literacy education for organizations and work alongside really, really great programs to be able to do that kind of founded the nonprofit, led me to find, find the nonprofit. And then um, the piece that I do with the Women's Business Center really allows me to take my passion for financial literacy to um, an adult crowd and to small business owners and entrepreneurs, um, as well as the general at large and work with other organizations. Nice. It's a, a common story that I talk to is that people 
get into the business and then they identify an area that's underserved or that they're really passionate about and that's how they change directions and uh and 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 really i think hit the rhythm and and find the work that that they're most impactful and and most passionate about so i very much appreciate that in terms of financial Mm -hmm. literacy um it's i think it's always fascinating because we as as people these days we're not at a lack of for information i mean all the the world's information is at my fingertips on my telephone but that doesn't mean that people are going to be able to learn that information and it's really in the delivery of it so i'd love to talk just get your take on that um absolutely <clears throat> it's 100% the case that we have available resources at our immediate disposal but the one piece that is missing in education when it comes to finances and financial literacy is, um, is the psychological piece to it. So even in our, even in our youth nonprofit, Net Pennies on Purpose, all three of the age groups that we focus on, we start each financial literacy curriculum with a financial psychology piece because we know for a fact that the way that we go about the problem with how we go about making financial decisions has nothing to do with our ability to add and subtract. There's nothing to do with first grade math. I always say it really has to do with our thought processes about money, the value that we give it, the impact that we choose to allow it to make or the lack of thought process around it at all. So many of us kind of have our own backstory with finances, whether it is shame or embarrassment or, um, part of part of what feeds into our own pride situation. And so until we really address the concept that money is simply one of the many resources that we have available, we get all mixed up in our decision-making processes about it. And that's not something that you can just specifically teach in, here's how to calculate what your future savings growth rate will be. Here's how to calculate this. Here's how to balance your checkbook automatically for you. You know, none of those resources are going to really give you that education. No, I, I couldn't agree more. And that's, I think it's hundred percent correct. It's a matter of shame and embarrassment or being prideful and not wanting to admit that maybe you're not where you want to be, or you've made some mistakes in the past. And I, I, I always thought it was kind of funny that, that the industry provides all these great financial calculators and tools. And I almost liken it to giving somebody the most wonderful uh, guitar in the world, but not teaching them how to play it. So <laughs> need to be able to actually teach people and without addressing the psychological or the behavioral aspects of it, you're, you're only really doing half of the equation. So do you find that, uh, that there are certain habits that that people need to break and then certain habits they need to build. There's probably a lot, but any common through lines? So I'm going to answer that in a not incredibly specific way. The difference in what I personally have seen in regards to, um, in regards to that question, habits, behaviors, kind of natural behaviors that are in place really vary dramatically in relation to the demographics. So, you know, just as an example, I have a group of um, an actual nonprofit medical organization that as part of their HR package, 
Um, a three-month retainer with Patricia Funk, financial strategist, is a kind of a piece of their HR. So they are recruiting new clinicians and they bring them in and they have me work with them for three months to ensure that that everything, their financial life is kind of handled and, and looked over. Um, that and kind of those habits and mindsets and thought processes are incredibly different than obviously the groups that I'm working with through the community college that are in going through specific programs and stuff. So I wouldn't say there's a specific habitual thing that really transcends um, all those demographics. It really is very, very experiential. The one thing that I would say that does relate regardless of the demographic that I'm dealing with is just um, not is just the attention piece. We, you know, we give so much attention and research and due diligence into so many other things in our life. Uh, but when it comes to money, we just, it's like a, an absolute, like out of sight, out of mind. It just happens. It comes and goes without any thought process about it. In some of the demographics that are kind of the lower income with some of the work that I've done with um, some, some, youth that are aging out of the foster care system, a piece of that very much comes from a mindset of um, if I put importance on money and, and really spend a lot of time thinking about it or figuring out what to do with it or something, um, then I'm putting too much value on it because that then somehow says something about my own value. So they really try to, de they, not all, but some really try to devalue the importance of money and the importance that money has in our lives because then somehow it says something about them. Um, so the thought process of where that comes from internally is very different, but it still is that, um, well, I'm just gonna, not going to give consideration to it, which is insane if you think about it. You know, we have clinicians in our country that spend, you know, seven to 10 years in school to earn great income that then just have zero regard to really truly where that income is going and the impact that it's making on their lives. It just is, it's, and it all really does boil down to that thought process that we, that we have with it. Yeah. Burying your head in the sand is, 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 uh, <laughs> is, is not a good strategy for successfully managing your money. And probably going the opposite way as, as well of concentrating and thinking about money 24-7 is, is, is probably not a very healthy thing. From, right. a, from a foundational standpoint, um, talking about budgeting, that can be the least fun thing in the world for probably the majority of the population. And without the proper mindset, I don't think that anybody's really going to be successful with budgeting. And I grew up in, in a small town in northern Minnesota, and we never saw any fancy cars. Then I moved to, to Phoenix, Arizona, and I saw some fancy cars. And then I moved to Orange County, California for a couple of years, and it was like an exotic car show. And I, I, I just wonder, with the broad demographics of people that you work with, from physicians to kids to just the, the, the mass affluent, um, how do you feel that social media, reality TV, different wealth signals like really fancy cars, big houses, jewelry. How do you think that those, how do you work past that when you're helping people put together an effective budget? That's a big question right there, Trish. Sorry. 
<laughs> that is a big question, but um, but it's a great question. That's a really good question. So when I work, whether I'm working with individuals on a one-on-one basis, whether I'm working with um, um, doing group literacy classes or something, even in our Pennies on Purpose um, grade school financial literacy curriculum, we really focus on impact, right? On impact that you want your money to make for you, for your family, for your community, for your world. Um, and so when we take that conversation very holistically in looking at an entire budget, it's really, really easy to say, you know, well, I work really hard and so I deserve those designer shoes. I work really hard. I deserve to drive this car. All of that's great. And if that's what you personally make that decision on in in the resources that you have available and the impact that you want that to make in your life, and that is driving a really, really nice car, then fantastic. But you have to ha have taken the, t the time to make that holistic decision by looking at everything together. And so what I find in working with people is that when you really do have that conversation and first of all have the conversation about impact that you actually want your money to make for you with the understanding that money's expensive to get in our life we there's a lot of things that we give up in order to attain it so what impact do you want it to make but then also giving permission look you're the one that brings the money into you into your life you're the only one that gets to make the decisions on where it goes but with that perspective is there a specific area that when you look at this holistically, is there a specific area or a specific thing that feels excessive to you? And, and people tend to really govern themselves well when you walk them through that process of identifying all of the things that are really important. And then some people will say, no, this car really is the really important thing and I'm okay not going out to eat all the time or these designer shoes are really important to me, but I'm also okay driving a car that's 12 years old. Um, but it's taking that piece, all of it together in view to really be able to identify what is the most important and what impact do we really want it to make in our lives and then being okay with our own personal decisions on what we've decided it's gonna do for us. Well, you took a difficult question and, uh, and answered it really in a, an awesome way. So I very much appreciate that, taking the time to consider how how it all fits together. And it's, it's, it's okay if you want to spend money on a watch, but make sure that you understand how it's fitting into the whole. And so I, I think that that's exactly. awesome. Do you find that, uh, that, uh, that young people have... I, I, I guess I don't know the, the right way to answer that, ask the question um, that younger people have a, a better perspective or a healthier perspective on money or than, than do adults or, or am, am, am I just fishing and not catching anything there? Healthier view. I wouldn't, I would say no, not necessarily that they don't have a healthier view because we're all a product of our environment, right? We're raised with what we, what we see. That's actually one of the, <laughs> kind of things that spurred me to founding the nonprofit was I was working with private clients, <clears throat> highly paid executives that had 
college-age students, and a number of times I would have requests from parents saying when my daughter comes home from college for the summer or when my son is home over Christmas break, I really would like you to, I want to set up an appointment and pay you to come and, and have the conversation about money with them and help them set up a spending plan and all of that kind of stuff. And my response every time was that you've been, we've been working together for a few months now. You guys have really made a huge Im impact on your own finances, you know, just share with them what we've talked about. And I more on more than one occasion, I had a parent that said to me in a nutshell, I can't have that conversation with them because if I do, it would make me a hypocrite because that's not hmm. the way they were raised. That's not what they witnessed any part of their life. So um, do they have a different perception of money? Not, I would say not necessarily. I will say that the youth in this day and age in 2018 that I see and that I have worked with are incredibly hungry for information. They're interested in finances, they're interested in impact, and whether that perception uh, or that desire to learn about comes from watching their parents that have likely gone through the housing crisis that we've had, the stock market crashes that we've had, you know, that they, they've grown up in this very financially volatile world and have seen some of the implications many probably have you know how many i and i don't know the statistic but you know how many foreclosures and short sales and all of that did we have in the housing market in the united states i don't know what the number is but i know that there's you talk to a classroom full of students and there's at least one or two that have been impacted by that in their lifetime they had to move out of their home because their house was foreclosed on um, so maybe that's where that desire for information comes from. And maybe it comes from somewhere else. I'm not positive, but I will say that they definitely have a desire to learn, um, more so I think than any, some of our previous generations. Nice. I like it. Well, Trish Savage Nation is ready for your difference making tip. What do you have for them? So um, the, the one thing that I can think of, difference-making tip, um, besides all of the conversations that we already had, um, <laughs> is in, the one thing that I encourage my children and my employees and all of our students is to allow yourself um, the grace to experiment in life. And to allow yourself to try the opportunity to try something. If it doesn't work, you can always reframe, but always give yourself the opportunity to try something. Oh, that is great stuff. That definitely gets it. Come on. Come on. Trish, thank you so much for coming on. Where can Savage Nation learn more about you? They can go to either my main website, trishafunk.com, but I would love for people to actually check out our nonprofit, Kenny's on Purpose and see what we're actually doing in classrooms throughout the United States um, and um, look for ways that they can get involved and bring that into, into their area. And that is penniesonpurpose.net is the web URL for the nonprofit. Perfect. Well, Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Trisha your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas, go to trishafunk.com and also check out penniesonpurpose.net. I'll list those in the notes of the show.
Thank you again, Trish. Great. Thank you so much, George. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we are all in this together. What's up, Savage Nation? Please support the show by subscribing, leave us a review, and definitely feel free to share us with somebody you think would like it. Come on!